Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jeff Clack, the Director of the Cyber Portfolio at the Defense Innovation Unit in the Department of Defense. Jeff, welcome to the show. Uh, Good morning. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Jason. Jeff, we're talking about cybersecurity today. There's a ton going on. Of course, every agency is facing, you know, more threats, more volume of threats, the more veracity of threats. And of course, there's the challenge of, okay, how do you stay ahead of those threats? And one of the things that you guys are doing at DIU is really looking at an intelligent decision automation platform. And maybe how could that help agencies, the Department of Defense, in this case, stay ahead of, of those threats? Walk me through some of that, that bigger 50,000 foot effort you guys are doing around cybersecurity, and then we'll get maybe a little deeper into the specific program and, and project. One of the things we've seen over the last year is um, increase in the number of threats. And as you said, they're coming to all of government, you know, Department of Defense included. And then how, do you, you know, how can you address all of these? Well, we can't create as many cyber operators um, as we need to address the threats. So technology looks like it's gonna be one of our answers. The automation and the intelligence of uh, new tech, you know, can allow us to address this increasing number of threats. One of the things when you talk about the threats that are ever increasing and and probably DOD is is the one agency that sees the most threats of, of really any agency. Walk me through maybe a little bit about why you think now is the time to kind of take on this technology and address a lot of these, this ever growing threat posture, threat state. DOD and really every agency faces? There are two pieces here. One, as you said, the number of threats are increasing. And on the other end, we now have technology that allows us to address that. We're not increasing as fast as the number of threats, the number of human assets that we, uh, cyber operators that can deal with this. So the good news is, you know, the commercial world has been building technology both in the automation and the intelligence, artificial intelligence and machine learning that allows us to address this and and solve it. Did somebody come to DIU and say, hey, we need your help? Or was this something that DIU kind of, as you looked across the DOD and and seeing these kind of gaps or maybe just, hey, this technology is really advanced. Why don't we do something to improve it? Walk me through how, how DIU got involved with this kind of broader decision, this broader effort. Well, this goes about a little to you know what DIU does for the Department of Defense. So our focus, is, and we work across the Department of Defense, uh, across the services, across the agencies, across the combatant commands, and we're specifically uh, responsible for accelerating the DoD's adoption of commercial technology to transform the capacity and capability of the military and to also strengthen the national security innovation base. So those organizations within the DOD, in this case, the Air Force, you know, they understand that that's our role and they came to us to uh, give them a hand with this. Now I know the Air Force on, on its own has a pretty good strong cyber, but they're probably so focused on this, the, the defending side, they probably said, hey, we probably could use some help. So walk me through maybe the process to, to say, okay, we're going to go down this path of an intelligent decision automation platform. Give me maybe a little more background about how you got from point A to here we are, point B, which is the prototype. So one of the things, those services, combatant commands, those agencies, um, they're aware of DIU's strong connection to the commercial technology world. That's where we spend most uh, most of our time. So understanding those commercial technologies, what are new and nascent, what are mature, the organizations that are building those technologies. And that's why they come to us because 
you know, obviously they have an operational mission that they're focused on and they reach out to us to then say, okay, is there something in the commercial world that can help us with uh, what we have going right now? And that that's our function at uh, DIU. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that, what, what's available in the commercial world to do this. Give me a sense now, this this tool and this, this project more generally, walk me through what you're testing, how's it gonna work, Tell me as much as you can. Obviously, there may be some sensitivities because we are talking cybersecurity. The Air Force came to us specifically seeking an innovative commercial solution that could harness the power of artificial intelligence and machine learning to drastically reduce the time it takes for their cyber operators to address malicious activity in the Department of Defense network. So their ask was, you know, give us uh, a capability, a solution that would act as a virtual tier one operator. So what that means is the analytical, the triage, the investigative work that make up the bulk of the analyst's work and looking at these threats, they needed a system that would address that because there's obviously there's a large quantity of this coming in. It's only increasing with time. And to be able to sift through that quickly so that the, the threats can be essentially racked and stacked and divided up based on priority is, is what the system is designed to do. So it's almost acting as that novice cyber threat operator. So the Air Force or anyone who uses this could then worry about the kind of next level threats and really the higher end. It's really kind of, as you said, racking, stacking, worrying about priorities, and then that would go to the human. Is it trying to, if you will, relieve some of that burden on the cyber the first first level cyber operators? Yeah, so exactly. That's that's absolutely what the Air Force wants to achieve here. You know, taking that tier one, you know, like you said, that lower level work that's racking and stacking, you know, these threats so that their, you know, their specialists can focus, their cyber operators can focus on, you know, what matters the most. And also you know, to be able to address this, the uh, threats as quickly as possible. So for the Air Force, what we're doing is we're bringing this technology in. Uh, Respond Software is one of the companies we're working with to do this. I'll give a real world example. So they build a system that the Air Force is going to install. They're going to run it in a cloud environment through uh, summer of 21. And we're going to watch this, see how it works. And of course, fine tune it since this is commercial software. So we also make it work optimally for our use case in the Department of Defense. And this is just one of several products you're testing, is that correct? That's correct. So often if you understand a little bit about DIU, or I should frame a little bit about how DIU works, we work in in five different areas, cyber being one of them. We all also have a human systems portfolio, you know, that deals with everything around the warfighter. We have a space portfolio, we have an autonomy portfolio, and we have an AI ML portfolio. And we come in and we look at these, we look at these issues from not only the perspective of you know, cyber in this case, but you can see that this also, this would overlap between cyber and AI ML. And you know, we look at it from, from the perspective of both of these portfolios. And as far as the Air Force test or, or prototype you're doing, is it on one specific system? Is it on a set of systems? How much are you able to kind of tell me about what, what the prototype is going to look like and, and, and do? You said through summer of 2021, so a good nine months. I imagine you'll look at the, and then the next question I imagine is how you're going to measure success. So start with 
maybe the beginning of that question, which is focused on how's the Air Force prototype or pilot going to work? The Air Force has created the uh, test environment that they want. Um, you know, of course, the reason we're doing this over a period of time is as a solution, as a functionality, as this capability is introduced, the Air Force will then interact with that test environment to modify it. So it's it's not a specific environment. They'll only live in one form because, you know, obviously as the capability is seen, the Air Force is going to want to be able to modify that to, you know, to optimize the return for, for the solution. And then talk about that success factors. How are you going to measure the success of this pilot or what, what kind of metrics are you using? Well, the Air Force will, is using real world data. Of course, as you said, they're constantly being barraged. The government as a whole is being barraged by, you know, folks that would like to get into the networks. You know, so there's real world data that can be used to, to measure success. And of course, the Air Force has quite a lot of experience doing this already on the human side. So they'll be able to use that to compare and contrast against the, the results they're getting out of this effort. Jeff, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guest is Jeff Kleck, the Director of the Cyber Portfolio at the Defense Innovation Unit at the Department of Defense. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jeff Kleck, the Director of the Cyber Portfolio at the Defense Innovation Unit at the Department of Defense. Now, one of the reasons why this is maybe also a shorter effort, but also considered prototype is you guys went down the path of an OTA. A lot of people love to hate OTAs. As one vendor told me years ago, uh, well, when we win, we love them. When we lose, we hate them. So I think that goes with a, a lot of people. But walk me through your decision to use an OTA, other transaction authority, for this type of project. Speed. I mean, that's the simple answer. The other transaction authority, OTA, is the standard method we use. I think I mentioned a little earlier you know, how our focus at DIU is on accelerating the, the adoption of commercial technology. And we don't want to delay that. I mean, there's, there's every reason. Cyber is a great example of how things change very quickly. Those threats, they evolve very quickly. We can't wait on processes that aren't as at the same speed of that technology in terms of adopting them. Other transaction authority is a great way to move quickly, and that's why we use it. Now, I know this is obviously not the first OTA used, but for cyber, Give me a sense of maybe a few other projects that maybe you also have used this OTA approach for. I think most, all of them, but what are some of, some of the other projects that kind of fit into this broader work portfolio, as you mentioned? Across the uh, spectrum of cyber, you know, we've used OTAs for mobile endpoint security, automated vulnerability detection and remediation, Cyberspace deception, which is creating deceptive environments so that the bad actors, you know, end up in a, the wrong place and perhaps end up in a place where we can watch them carefully. Cyber threat intelligence, so data that gives us uh, an understanding of what the threats are out there. Commercial threat data, another project, secure cloud management, so accessing the, the cloud in a secure manner. And then, of course, this you know, Intelligence Security Operations Center, or IDAP, as we call it. We also have cyber inventory management and, um, and post-patch testing, which is part of uh, rapid patching processes. So those are just a few that are running right now. We have 
quite a basket of uh, cyber projects going at any one time. I, I can tell it's five or six, seven <laughs> projects you just uh, reeled off there right away. Is this one that you're doing with the automated platform, is it any more difficult, any different? Is, is it any more, does it present you any challenges that maybe these other projects have? Or is it, are they all kind of in that same realm of cyber is difficult no matter what side of the fence, if you will, or what, what approach you're taking, not just OTAs, but, but the, the broader, how do we fix this threat problem? This is a, a very unique uh, project, but I, I think it also kind of portends the future of cyber because of both the, the automation and the, uh, the AI, the artificial intelligence built into this, and the fact that it's a platform. You know, so this isn't, you know, a lot of the, uh, the projects I mentioned that we we're currently working on, you know, focus on one element of cyber. This system is looking broadly across, you know, a lot of threats and using AI and automation to do it. And that's really where the future of cyber is going. What's the hope from this project, generally speaking? Obviously, success, I can answer your question there. Well, do you hope that once this test is done, you can move into production and roll it out broad, more broadly across the Air Force or more broadly across DOD or the entire government? Certainly, our focus uh, always starting here with the Air Force because they're our uh, partner on this. As I mentioned, we work across the services. So as we do these things, we always consider the other services as well. We keep them informed of what's going on here. They have then the ability to also join into these projects. So many of the projects I mentioned, you know, started with um, one service and then grew, expanded. So absolutely, we, we feel this is a capability that is uh, not only good for the Air Force, which it's very good for the Air Force, but also good for all of the services. And then we also work closely um, in partnership as advisors to other agencies in the government, um, sharing what we learn here so that you know, they can either you know, follow on what we've done or understand enough based on what we've done in their unique circumstances to come up with a solution for themselves. And there's probably no better example of that than the bug bounty programs you guys really kicked off back in 2016. I, I just you know, wrote a story recently about the finding operational directive, the new policy from OMB that really said, hey, do bug bounty programs, they're good. And I went back and looked at it. And I think you guys at DIU were among the first in DOD to, to, to launch this and then share your successes. So I think there'll be a lot of interest in, in this uh, adaptive platform as well. I think finally, let me offer you, because you kind of answered this, but let me maybe go the next level down too. How does all these projects and specifically the intelligent automation platform fit into that longer term vision for DOD or just even from DIU about how to continue to improve cybersecurity. As you said, this is the long term future, but if you can walk me through a little bit more about, about why a program like this is so important to that, to, to really keeping DOD its networks, its data safe. Yeah, I, I think at the heart of all of this and with DIU's mission is making sure that the, the best of breed, you know, the best technologies, the best solutions out there are continuously available to the Department of Defense and that we use our capabilities with OTA and the other, uh, the other pieces that we built at DIU to get those solutions quickly into the DOD so that they can essentially respond at the, you know, while they're relevant. This is a very quickly evolving world in, the, in cyber. And I think that is, 
you know, at the heart of what's kind of really important in this equation is making sure we get the very best technology into the DOD as quickly as we can. And that's the best way to address the future. The future is going to evolve. You know, if we were 10 years back, you know, would we be able to see exactly where we are now? Probably not. And likewise, you know, 10 years into the future, I can't give you that crystal ball and say exactly what the threats are going to be. But I can tell you that we are going to have the capability through DIU and organizations like us within the Department of Defense to bring the, those solutions, those capability sets to answer these questions. As we look forward into fiscal 2021 and beyond, you guys, your plate's full. You just listed off, you know, eight, seven, six, seven projects. But what else are you guys looking at for 2021? Are, are there any priorities, programs, uh, thoughts you can share about what, what's, what's, what, the, what the next year or so is going to look like? Those projects that I mentioned, those are all ongoing into this coming year. Like the uh, Security Operations Center, you know, these projects usually take about a year to uh, develop and mature and, you know, and uh, test the prototype capability within, with the defense partner. And there'll be more of that. We'll certainly add to this. We're actually in the process right now. It tends to be a continuous process. We look throughout the year at you know, what, what else we can be doing for the Department of Defense. That basket is actually much bigger than the number of projects I mentioned. We, we have more projects going than the few I mentioned, and then the need is even greater. So, you know, one of the things DIU is doing is growing into that capability. We've been growing significantly uh, just in the last year that I've been at DIU. You know, we've almost, uh, you know, in, increased in size by 50%. So, you know, that, that's not going to go away. You know, the need's going to stay there. We're going to continue growing to address it. And we work closely with our partners. So we work with, you know, we work with Air Force. You know, we work with the other services. We work with the commands, in this case, Cyber Command, uh, a very big partner of ours. And we spend time throughout the year looking at their problem sets and what their technology needs are and then continuously going back to that commercial market and seeing what is maturing, essentially what fruit is coming off of the tree that can answer one of those needs. Do you have a list of 2021 projects or hopeful or, or, or goals in terms of, hey, we like to look at these five, these 10 technologies or, or types of technologies or look to solve these problems? Do you guys have that list that you're able to offer any insight into? I know, again, sensitivities and such. So there are some sensitivities. It's cyber, and we don't want to telegraph too much, you know, to the world in terms of what we're looking at. The, uh, that being said, artificial intelligence and machine learning, you know, this project, that's a very common theme. And the automation of these systems, that's a very common theme that we'll see going forward into next year, regardless of the specific category, you know, whether it's threat data or threat hunting or whatever the category may be. That's one common theme that you'll see throughout automation, AI, ML. All right. And finally, I know a lot of vendors do listen to my program. So I'm going to ask you the question, how do vendors get involved? What should they know about working with DIU? You guys use OTA, so there's consortiums potentially or not, but give me a sense of what should they know about. If they think they have a technology that can help you all out, how can they get involved? They can certainly reach out to us at um, you know, questions at diu.mil. 
that's a great way. And, you know, we'll, we'll get right back to them. We love hearing about, you know, what the vendors are building. Uh, we stay connected to, we stay connected to the commercial world, either directly through those companies. Uh, we have operations both in, uh, I should say, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, you know, Technology Center in the Capital Region, in the Silicon Valley, in Austin, Texas. Those are technology centers. Uh, one of the reasons we have offices in each and we also stay very connected to the venture uh, community to see where they're investing. So the venture capitalists, the entrepreneurs, uh, the, the you know commercial entities, ventures themselves, many are aware of us. And we spend quite a bit of time in that commercial world working with those folks and talking to them daily. And then our site at diu.mil, we post these you know, these uh, problem sets that we're looking for answers on. So another good way to make sure that, you know, that if you're a commercial vendor, you're seeing the opportunity is check in with us, you know, find us, grab us on LinkedIn, follow us, check out our site, you know, see what's going up there. Besides cyber, there are all the other portfolios I mentioned. So there's, there's quite a lot going on. So it's worth spending some time there. All right, Jeff, good advice for all vendors. And, and this was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot. So let me thank my guest. Jeff Kleck is the director of the cyber portfolio at the Defense Innovation Unit at the Department of Defense. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time today. Uh, Jason, appreciate it. It was great. We had to take a break. When we come back, we're going to shift gears and hear from Army Lieutenant General John Morrison, the Deputy Chief of Staff G6. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. In this part of the show, I play an excerpt of a media roundtable held by Army Lieutenant General John Morrison, the Deputy Chief of Staff, G6. As you know, back in the summer, uh, the Secretary and the Chief made the decision to establish a CIO on the Secretariat side and a G6 on the Army staff side. One of the first things that happened as I came into the seat was we actually were working through the process finalizing uh, the recommendation for a general order to go to the secretary for decision that actually established the two offices and assigned uh, initial roles and responsibilities. And I say initial because, you know, on a fairly routine basis, the Army goes back in and takes a look at all roles and responsibilities. And there's going to be harmonizing as, as we mature, both as a CIO and a G6. And, and I'll explain a little bit of that as we move forward. So the G6 is the principal advisor to the Secretary of the Army, and they really are focused on policy, governance, and oversight. And it's all things IT-related. It's very uh, focused on information technology, and there's elements of cloud in there as well. As you know, the Chief Data Officer uh, has been legislated to work inside the CIO shop. So Dr. Dave Markowitz is now on board, and he is the chief data officer who works inside the CIO. But really, it's that policy, governance, and oversight, things traditionally that come out of the secretariat. On the G6, a little bit different focus, and it really is about strategy, network architectures, implementation of command, control, communications, cyber operations, and networks. And I serve as the Deputy Chief of Staff G6 as the Principal Advisor to the Chief of Staff of the Army and to the CIO. So think of it in this way. The CIO establishes the policies, 
we're responsible for the planning and the actual implementation of those policies and in supporting Army organizations worldwide as they go out and actually execute the policies. So we are now in the midst of the transition. Uh, Mr. Greg Garcia is the acting CIO. Uh, we have been operating as two separate organizations now for the better part of uh, two months, and I think we are trending in the right direction. I get asked all the time, is this a good thing? My personal opinion is I think the Secretary and the Chief made the right decision, and I'll tell you why. The, the power of having two aligned organizations, one in the Secretariat, one on the Army staff, that is focused on vertical and horizontal integration, driving on really tough IT network and cyber challenges, I think is powerful for our Army. And that's, that's, the, that's the initial tranche that we're getting after. As a matter of fact, I will tell you my number one priority is setting the foundation for everything that we're going to do in the future. And that foundation is, from my perspective, establishing the G6 as a viable organization and just as important, supporting the CIO so that they become a viable organization. It's critical that we both have the combat power that we need to do our respective missions because, as you know, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And so that's where we are right now. If you don't mind, I'd like to talk about our four, and I'm calling them pillars. It's where, from a G6 perspective, as we get after really developing a strategy, an implementation plan moving forward, really getting after network architectures, building in cyber operational capacity with inside the G6, which is relatively new, where are we really heading? So the first pillar is really this notion of setting the unified network. And I see this as really two things. It is integrating with the great work that the network CFT is doing with the integrated tactical network. But it's really focused on this notion of vertical integration. And I'm going to explain that just a little bit. You know, so if you buy into many of the things that we're working on from our modernization priorities or our operational framework, long-range precision fires, deep persistent ISR, multi-domain operations, where cyber effects at the tactical level could be deployed from just about anywhere on the globe. You need a unified network that we need to just stop talking about an enterprise network that is focused on modernizing our base post camps and installations than a tactical network that is very, very BCT centric. We need to bring those two together so that we support where the Army's going from both modernization and from an operational warfighting construct. The other notion of this unified network is that it's got to be our network contribution to JADC2. And that is really bringing the, again, the tactical components of it, the enterprise components of it, and making sure across the joint force that we are all linked. The second pillar that we're really focusing on is posturing our signal and our cyber forces to operate for multi-domain operations. You know, the, the two cores and cyber includes both cyber and electronic warfare, are just inextricably linked. You can't separate them if we're going to properly support multi-domain operations. And so that means taking a look at the training. That means taking a look at the talent management. That means taking a look at the organizational frameworks 
that we are putting into place, and then as we learn, adjusting them over time. And that means making sure that we have signal and cyber underpinned by intelligence operating in a combined arms fashion in cyberspace to include the electromagnetic spectrum. So all that work from the signal and cyber rebalance to what we're doing with our expeditionary signal battalions enhanced and really putting in a Doden Ops framework that really supports this notion of a unified network and then building additional cyber capacity to operate at the tactical echelons is absolutely imperative for our Army. The third pillar, and, and this one is sort of iterative, is really about reforming and operationalizing our cybersecurity process. And where I really want to start is taking a very hard look at the risk management framework and move from a model that is less focused on the bureaucracy and periodic reviews to make sure that a system, an application, or a component can operate on the network, you know, from a one, two, or even three-year basis to where we do the right level of bureaucracy in the right level of preparation, but then we have operational evaluations that ensures that cybersecurity is baked into a system before it gets on a network, and then just as importantly, once it's on the network, how do we operationalize the process to make sure that we are periodically going back to make sure no vulnerabilities or risks to a system, application, or component has been induced that one of our adversaries can vector against? So it's a different process of focusing the RMF process on pre-connection and really legacy processes that came out of old patient assurance uh, procedures to really a much more operational focus. And then last but not least, it's really about getting the team to really focus that as we work implementation and support execution, how do we drive effective and efficient uh, investments across network and cyber? How do we harmonize, for example, what the Joint Force is doing with cyber so that our actions inside uh, the Army are really focused on developing those cyber capabilities that we need to support Army operations with the appropriate linkage back to the Joint Force? How do we harmonize joint investments in the Joint Tactical Grid, which supports the unified, unified network? How do we make sure that we're leveraging all the investments that are going in so that we're effective as a joint force, as an army, but also fiscally efficient. Uh, because as we all know, we are probably entering into a time where budgets may not be all that they have been in the past. And quite frankly, uh, we owe it to taxpayers to force ourselves to be efficient and effective. All right, we'll move on to Jason Miller, Federal News Network. Thank you, General Morrison, for uh, taking the time today. I want to just maybe start with maybe an explanation, because a lot of what you went through seems, especially the cyber piece, seems to be something that I hear similar discussions from Army Cyber Command, the training, the posturing of cyber forces, the operationalizing of cyber processes, moving to a more real-time, proactive stance. What's your relationship with Army Cyber? I know you're going to tell me it's great. You work with them all the time. You love them. But how, how are you guys maybe balancing, maybe it's a little early, but how are you balancing their role, your role, and making sure that you guys don't step on each other's toes and, and you're not being redundant? 
I'm not surprised that General Fogarty and I sound alike. Uh, he was the commanding general of the Cyber Center of Excellence before I was, and then he was the chief of staff of CyberCom before I was. So I, I would reckon that we have fairly similar views. I will tell you, that's why I was trying to bust it when I was discussing missions. There, there's plenty of work in this space, and we just need to make sure that we all keep ourselves aligned. And so the CIO, policy, governance, oversight, the G6, strategy, planning, implementation, and in Army cyber, execution. Now, the reality of it is, is if we do it right, we're all involved in all of that, so we create what I call positive friction, so that by the time a policy is actually written, we work it through implementation, and it gets to General Fogarty and the rest of the Army for execution. It's something that's actually executable. Uh, the, the last thing we need are policies that, uh, quite frankly, are unresourced or uh, ill-informed that can't be executed. So it's really about nesting and mutual support. And at different points in time, somebody different is the lead. And so that, that's really the relationship that, that I see here. My job is to create positive friction with the CIO uh, and as the prime, uh, principal cyber advisor comes on to work through policy development to make sure that it can be implemented. The CIO and the PCA, their job is going to be to make sure that we're developing an implementation plan that's following the guidance. And then that implementation plan needs to enable Army Cyber and the rest of the Army to go execute. And so that's how I see my role. And again, all along the way, again, I call it positive friction. There's nothing bad in positive friction. To me, it's all, it's all powerful because in the end, what that means is we've come up with policy and implementation plan that can be violently executed. General Morrison, one of the things that occurs to me is there's been an attempt to, to kind of separate the CIO office from other kind of offices, the Navy has tried it. Do you guys, as you set up your office, look at other past experiences, whether Army or other military organizations, and, and try to bring in those, you know, lessons learned, et cetera? Is there anything you all did to prepare as this, as, as you set up your office to say, let's not make that mistake that, that was made 10 years ago, 20 years ago when they when others tried this? I was very fortunate from my last position that I was able to have a pretty decent eye on everything that uh, the other services are doing. And so as we've, and I'm only going to speak for the G6 side right now, uh, as we've worked to uh, implement the Secretary and the Chief's direction, we have drawn lessons learned from other organizations. And, and you've seen some things that are that are different. The mere fact that cyber ops is included in the G6, that is not traditional. But it gets back to this notion of if you really believe in combined arms maneuver in cyberspace to include the EMS, why would we separate that role in function? And so there's work for us to do there. But, but I would also submit to you that's probably one of the lessons learned from the other services because that's generally how they've organized. We have to take a break. Today I'm playing an excerpt of a media roundtable held by Army Lieutenant General John Morrison, the Deputy Chief of Staff, G6. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. In this segment of the show, Army Lieutenant General John Morrison, the Deputy Chief of Staff G6, continues to take questions from reporters during a recent media roundtable. All right, we'll move on to Lauren Williams, FCW. 
I wanted to kind of pull on the RMS thread that you put out there. Are you looking to kind of to, to replace RMS entirely? And also, what other legacy processes are you looking are you looking at? Okay, so it's not a matter of replacing it totally. Uh, you know, so I believe the intent of what the risk management framework was supposed to be was um, it was on target. Uh, I just don't know if we have executed it, um, and this isn't just the Army, this is across all the departments. Uh, I don't know if we've executed it consistently, or I would tell you I think we all have varying degrees of have we gone really matched against the intent, because the whole intent was get it into an operational framework coupled with continuous monitoring, almost like a continuous ATO cycle so that you were continuously assessing risk. And that risk really came into two pots. One was operational risk to the, the broader DODEN, and then mission risk to specific missions that were being conducted. And then having, again, that positive friction to make sure you made an informed, a threat-informed decision uh, as you decided to either accept risk or say you weren't going to accept risk. So this is really making sure that we do the right work on the front end. You know, there, there, you know, some level of bureaucracy is good. There, we, you know, things like understanding the network map and network topologies and how it interfaces with the broader network. All those artifacts still need to be gathered. But what I want to do is shorten that cycle, shorten the amount of uh, uh, contract dollars we put towards preparing artifacts that I'm not 100% sure we need at this point, and focus those resources on the operations of cybersecurity. This is one of those effective drills that I think will allow us to apply our resources in a more efficient uh, manner, but brings a level of security to the network that, that quite frankly, I don't think we have right now. And so it's not a question of getting rid of RMS, it's getting it back to what it was originally designed to do and making sure that we are far more effective and efficient with our resources and applying it so we get the operational outcome that we really want. To George Seppers with Signal Magazine. What's the remaining schedule for establishing the two offices, and, and what do you see as the challenges that you're likely to meet along the way? We're in an initial operating capability now. We have gotten approval to um, take a look at some of our vacant positions and then really take a hard look at position descriptions and then rewrite them for the skill sets that we need on both the CIO and the G6 side. You know, what, what immediately comes to mind is, you know, more cloud expertise, more data expertise, more cyber expertise. That's not just cybersecurity, it is cyber. And so we're, we're working through that process right now. I, I think the biggest challenge uh, is hiring in the, current, uh, in the current operating environment, for lack of a better term. The, uh, it, the, the skill sets that we are going to be wanting to go after are, as you know, in very high demand. But this is not – I think this is a, one of those rare opportunities where you're able to set two organizations, and we've gotten great support from Army leadership, but support two organizations to really posture themselves and the Army for the future. But really, it, it is about 
not just getting the authorization to go do it. It's about actually hiring the folks on. And we are looking at innovative ways once the position descriptions are approved to get after hiring folks. Uh, yes, so just to clarify, does IOC apply to both offices or just the G6, and when do you expect FOC? I, I would suspect FOC is sometime later in FY21, uh, just based off of the current operating environment as we know it. If something changes, it slows down hiring practices, then, then we'll obviously have to adjust just like everybody is. Uh, I, I would tell you, I, I would. I don't want to speak for Mr. Garcia. I think he would tell you he's also at an initial operating capability. Uh, but from a G6 perspective, I, I firmly believe that we're there. Uh, Andrew Everson, C4ISRnet. You mentioned your first pillar is unified network, and you're working with the network cross-functional team on bringing the two networks together. I guess what are some of the initial challenges you've started working on with uh, the NCFT? One is just getting the discussion going on this notion of uh, vertical integration. And I'm actually going up to see the network CFT for uh, more detailed discussions here in a week or so. It's not really working with the network cross-functional team initially. It really is taking a step back and look at our current modernization efforts on the integrated enterprise networks. And as you look at our investments, there's a couple different things that I think that we can do better that will set the conditions for this vertical integration and much greater collaboration with the network cross-functional team. So, so we've really been focused and honed in on installation modernization, and we're using uh, models that I think, if we take a look at newer um, capabilities, 5G, wireless, secure wireless, there may be another way that we can still meet the needs on the installation, but more importantly, set the overall enterprise so we really posture it for global operations, which I submit to you in a multi-domain fight is going to be imperative, especially when you look at things like long-range precision fires, ISR, cyber. I think this global Look, this unified network is going to be operationally imperative to support uh, multi-domain operations. And so it, it's things where we break down the individual theater architectures and we make it easy for formations that are actually in CONUS to rapidly deploy to any area of operation and in in immediately plug in and start conducting operations, whether that, you know, that's in competition or conflict. That's all the time we have for today. You just heard from Army Lieutenant General John Morrison, the Deputy Chief of Staff G6, speaking during a recent media roundtable. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.